0: Uh, so we're going to kind of learn or take everything that we've learned over the year and apply it now in mock debates. It's fun. We've done it in the past. We usually make two kids um, pretend like they're pagans and two like they're Christians. And then they debate each other and then we switch and they, they apply all the things that they've been learning. The five E's, also another acrostic that we use called CAFE that takes us through um, knowing the authenticity of the scriptures. But then also what we're going to talk about today, which are some tactics for um, sharing our faith. And there there are certain things that are helpful, I think, for us to know when we are going to have a discussion about Christianity. And uh, I think a lot of times for Christians, we get nervous about sharing our faith. And we don't really know how to start or how to begin. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the five E's are good, but you might find yourself kind of falling into uh, a pitfall uh, very easily. If you're not used to using certain methods that are very easy and anyone can learn, I want to help you. I want to give you confidence so that you feel like you can get on first base, second base in a conversation. You don't have to hit a home run. You don't have to be, uh, you know, R.C. Sproul in your apologetic abilities. But any Christian can uh, be a lot better equipped to converse uh, about their faith in a world that is hostile toward Christianity. And the biggest thing to to do, as I mentioned before on the class with the five E's, is to, first of all, ask questions. Okay. Ask questions. Don't make a statement when a question will do. Never make a statement, at least at first, when a question can do the job. Questions are good. Questions put the burden of proof on the person making the claims. We call that the Socratic method. Uh, You don't have to be pushy. You simply ask, what do you mean by that? How would you come to that conclusion? Have you ever considered X, Y, or Z? Questions are an invitation to more discussion and dialogue. They display interest in the other person. Questions help us gather information about what the person actually believes so that we don't misrepresent what they believe. Uh, Questions also help us steer the conversation in a direction we want to go. So... uh, Somebody says Christianity is basically the same as all other religions. All paths lead to God. Um, If you live and breathe in America, you're probably going to hear somebody say that at some point. What do you say? You know, no, that's not true. Uh, No, don't say that. Don't say that. That's a statement. You don't have to do that. Uh, Ask questions. They made the claim. Now make them defend the claim. And sometimes we just don't think like that. We, we just hamstring ourselves without even, without even realizing what we're doing. They made a claim. Make them defend the claim, and you can do it in love. You say, well, what do you mean by that? How would you come to that conclusion? What do you think Jesus' attitude was about that? It's not rational to believe in God. Well, what do you mean by God? What kind of God do you reject? What would you consider to be rational proof? The Bible was written by men, so we can't trust it. What do you mean by that? Are you saying that all books written by humans always contain error? Do people always make mistakes when they write? If God exists, don't you think he would be capable of using humans to write down what he wants? How familiar are you with the Bible? Uh, Now, what I'm doing, actually, um, and I'm going to teach you, hopefully, by the end of the class here, um, I'm using a method called the reductio ad absurdum or what Francis Schaeffer called taking the roof off. It is, without question, the one method that every Christian should know how to use in a conversation. Uh, because what you do is you listen to the person, what they their statement, and you get them to defend it, and you basically take their statement to its logical conclusion through questions. So the burden of proof always stays on the other person, but you're able to show that this person can't live in the world that they've tried to construct. It's what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul just makes one large reductio ad absurdum. Um, these aren't just, you know, law school techniques. Um, these are laws of logic, and God is the one who has created laws of logic. And uh, so first what I'm going to do is, is teach you to recognize some faulty, logical. Statements, or what we call logical fallacies, just give you a few. Uh, Some of you may be real familiar with these, helpful to go over. And then we'll do the reductio ad absurdum. But I want you to remember this as we start always ask questions. Asking questions. Asking questions. This is especially important also when the other person has the high ground, such as a professor in a classroom. The person says the Bible is myth. Uh, it's going to be difficult to uh, make a frontal assault on that person. You don't need to. Just ask questions. Professor, what kind of myth are you talking about? Professor, do you think that nothing in the Bible has historical value? Um, Can you help us understand your position? Let the professor explain himself. As a good student, listen carefully to his response. Uh, Don't take his bait to get you to defend claims that you have not yet made. And uh, Christians sometimes aren't very good at this, and, but we need to be. Paul is a great example, uh, and th- this is the way that he often would argue. So questions help you, okay? They really help you. They also help you initiate a conversation. I want to give you I want to read something real quick. Uh, I read to the kids last week uh, from this book by a, a kind of a popular Christian apologist named Greg Kochel. Uh, He has a great little book called Tactics, a a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. And uh, he has this great example of how questions are the best thing. He calls it The Witch in Wisconsin. I'm going to read it to you real quick. Several years ago, while on vacation at our family cabin in Wisconsin, my wife and I stopped at the one-hour photo in town. I told the young people they probably don't even know what that is. This is from yesteryear, right? Those of us who are old enough to remember one-hour photos in town. I noticed that the woman helping us had a large pentagram, a five pointed star generally associated with the occult, dangling from her neck. Does that star have religious significance? I asked, pointing to the pendant, or is it just jewelry? Yes, it has religious significance, she answered. The five points stand for earth, wind, fire, water, and spirit. Then she added, I'm a pagan. My wife, caught off guard by the woman's candor, couldn't suppress a laugh, and quickly apologized. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be rude. It's just I've never heard anyone actually admit right out that they were pagan, she explains. She knew the term only as a pejorative used by her friends yelling at their kids, get in here, you bunch of pagans. Uh, now, have, has anybody here, just I'm curious, has anyone here know anyone who identifies themselves as a pagan? A few, yeah, three, I do. Um, I, I'm related to some, and even went to a wedding that was a, a monistic pagan wedding. So it's real. Uh, this isn't just bizarre way out there. Um, this is becoming more and more common as our culture is becoming more and more pagan. Anyway, this person's just admitting what others uh, don't want to admit or aren't clued in on it. So you're a Wiccan, I continued. She nodded, yes, she was a witch. It's an earth religion, the woman explained. Like the Native Americans, we respect all life. If you respect all life, I said, then I suppose you're pro-life on the abortion issue. She shook her head. No, actually, I'm not. I'm pro-choice. I was surprised. Isn't that an unusual position for someone in Wicca to take? I mean, since you're committed to respecting all life? See, see what he's doing? He's not making statements. He's asking a question. Do you see the difference? They're worlds apart. He's getting her to defend what she said. You're right. It's odd, she admitted, then quickly qualified herself. I know I could never do that. I mean, I could never kill a baby. I wouldn't do do anything to hurt anyone else because it might come back on me. Now, this was a remarkable turn in the conversation for two reasons. First, notice the words she used to describe abortion. By her own admission, abortion was baby killing. The phrase wasn't a rhetorical flourish of mine. These were her own words. I did not have to persuade her that abortion took the life of an innocent human being. She already knew it. She had just offered me a tremendous leg up in the discussion, and I was not going to turn it down. From then on, I abandoned the word abortion. It would be baby killing instead. Second, I thought it remarkable that her first reason for not hurting a defenseless child was self-interest. Something bad might befall her. Is that the best she could do? I thought to myself, this comment itself was worth pursuing, but I ignored it and took a different tact. Well, maybe you wouldn't do anything to hurt a baby, but other people would. Shouldn't we do something to stop them from killing babies? I think women should have a choice, she countered without thinking. Now, generally, statements like women should have a choice are meaningless as they stand, like the statement, I have a right to take, dot, dot, dot. The claim requires an object. Choose what? Take what? No one has an open-ended right to choose. People only have the the right to choose particular things. Whether anyone has a right to choose depends entirely on what choice they have in mind. In this case, though, there was no ambiguity. The woman had already identified the choice, baby killing, to use her words. Even though she personally respected all life, including human life, this was not a belief she was comfortable forcing on others. Women should still have the choice to kill their own babies. That was her view. Of course, she did not put it in so many words. This was her view implicitly. When bizarre ideas like these are obviously implied, do not let them lurk in the shadows. Drag them into the light with a request for clarification. That is exactly what I did next. Do you mean women should have the choice to kill their own babies? Well, she thought for a moment, I think all things should be taken into consideration on this question. Okay, tell me, what kind of considerations would make it all right to kill a baby. Incest, she answered quickly. Hmm, let me see if I understand. Just, just let's say I had a two-year-old child standing next to me who had been conceived as a result of incest. On your view, it seems, I should have the liberty to kill her. Is that right? Okay, now what he's doing here is called the reductio. He's taking the roof off of the walls that she's constructed. And guys, people all around you, your neighbors, your coworkers, everybody, the people we live with, this is how they they say stuff like this all the time without thinking about the logical implications. It's the world we live in. Watch TV for, for 10 minutes and you'll see it. But you see, somebody's taking the time here to at least have a conversation with this person beyond just superficial things. And you don't have to cram the gospel down their throat, just asking questions, getting them to think, putting a rock in their shoe to get them to to think about maybe the next next time somebody comes along and asks. This last question stopped her in her tracks. The notion was clearly absurd. It was also clear that she was deeply committed to her pro-choice views. She had no snappy response. She had to pause for a moment and think. Finally, she said, I have mixed feelings about that. It was the best she could do. Of course, by this she meant, she meant this as a concession, but it was a desperately weak response. Killing a two-year-old? Gee, you got me on that one. I'll have to think about it. I hope so, was all I had the heart to say in response. At this point, I noticed a line of would-be customers forming behind me. Our conversation was now interfering with her work. It was time to abandon my pursuit. My wife and I finished our transaction, wished her well, and departed. And it was just that simple. But what did he accomplish? What do you notice? He got her to think about something. Who else is going to confront her with that? You see, and this stuff is around us all the time. Now, how did he start the conversation? What was the question he asked? About the necklace. Yeah. Just found an entry point, you know. Is that just jewelry or does it have religious significance, you know? If you get too freaked out after she says, you know, it's religious significance and grows horns and red eyes come out, you know, then just back away, you know. Uh, But you can ask questions. You don't have to be a, a law school grad to do this. And with practice, you get better at it. But what, what he's done there is he's given her something to think about. Now, you can steer the conversation to something, uh, to, to really to the gospel, and to uh, helping them think about uh, the resurrection. But uh, this is really, I think, the most important thing for us to uh, know is how to do the reductio. Now, before we get there, let's just recognize a few self-defeating statements and bad arguments and um, let's think about these briefly. Uh, husbands and wives, you probably will be able to uh, recognize them sometimes in your own spouse or see how you even do it yourself sometimes. But these are, uh, these are big ones. These are, these are quite important. Um, if you've had a logic class or you've had any kind of uh, training in college on debate, then you probably remember some of these. But they're really helpful to, to recognize. Because, you know, I, I think where I, I, I really felt like we as a culture are forgetting all of this is as the over the last several months, as I spent more time this election season than probably in the past 12 years watching the GOP debates, I saw logical fallacies all over the place and nobody seems to pick up on it. The biggest one is the ad hominem. This is uh Logical fallacy uh, in Washington, one-on-one. What, what is an ad hominem? Any, any non-high school student know? Sorry, Justin. Anybody know? Yeah, Brett. On Tag on the person rather than the argument. So, uh, you know, you, you make a case for, being, for abortion being morally wrong. Your friend says, well, of course you believe that because you're a Christian and Christians are intolerant of any views other than their own. You see, they just did. Person A makes a claim. Person B does not attack the claim; they attack person B or person A. Therefore, the claim must be wrong. And uh, if you watched the, if you've watched the debates, it's all ad hominem. I'm not all, but a lot of ad hominem. I, that, what I just did was just a straw man. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, Christian. Right? Christianity is false because Christians are hypocrites. Christianity is false because Christians are hypocrites. What would you, how would you respond to that? Okay, I mean Christians are hypocrites and therefore Christianity is false. That's what I mean by that. I come to that conclusion because all Christians are hypocrites. Christianity is false because uh, Christians are hypocrites. There's an easier way. You don't have to stall. You don't have to stall. You go right for the jugular. Bingo. Bingo. Well, I would say, what's your point? Of course I'm a hypocrite. That's why I need a savior. I would say that, of course there's hypocrites in Christianity. That has nothing to do with the claims of Christianity. But see, it, we didn't even pick up on that because we're so used to this, the way people talk. We, we get kind of, we get stuck in our tracks. Okay, wait, wait, what's the way out of this? It's simple. That has nothing to do with the claims of Christianity. The claims of Christianity is that God became a man, lived and died, was raised again from the dead, First Corinthians 15. That's the claim of Christianity. Either it's true or it's false. The fact that there's Christians who are hypocrites really have nothing to do with that. That's, that's called an ad hominem. It's a logical fallacy. But, see, we're used to swallowing logical fallacies and and just moving on to the next thing. Uh, So don't let people get away with that. Friend says, why should I believe the gospel is true when your life isn't perfect? You have problems in your family. (laughs) Because... Uh, you know that's why I need, a, I need a savior. Ad hominem is is very very common, and so attacking the person. I mean, you saw this all over in the debates. You know, a claim is made, a political claim, and then there's the attack on the person. And uh, you know, the, the the sad thing is we we've lowered ourselves as a society to the point where instead of recognizing this as a logical fallacy and saying that's just an ad hominem, uh, we actually end up you know bickering back and forth you know, between person A and person B, and then it just turns into the Jerry Springer show. And uh, so the ad hominem we have to be careful of, and we wanna make sure that they're sticking to the, to the claim. Right. And it becomes this sure. uh, way to shut a person down. Well, I think, see, I, I would use that to my advantage. I kind of like that people are saying that ridiculous stuff. Because I think you could use it, uh, you know, you could flip it around the other way. And um, if someone starts any kind of little ad hominem, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I'm offended here. You know, you're attacking me. Actually, I'm not offended. I really don't care. Um, but, uh, you know, can we just talk about the claim? And then also if we're asking questions, I say, hey, I'm just asking a question. You know, I'm, all I'm doing is asking a question here. I have no uh, malice intended in the question. Um, you seem like the kind of person who's tolerant enough to have discussions and conversation. You seem open-minded enough, you know, not to be prejudiced against what my convictions might be. Um, you know, maybe, can, we, can we have this conversation? You know? And so, I mean, I, you can use that to your own advantage, I think, with an ad hominem. Let me, let me move on real quick, because we have 15 minutes. I, we will stop at 12.15, even though we started 10 minutes late. Um, ad hominem is the first one. Red herring is a big one. What is the red herring? Now, I know my high school, high school kids are like, I could get up and teach this right now. I want to answer. Do uh, any adults know what a red herring is? Anybody remember? So, the red herring is basically introducing another topic. <laughs> this happens all the time. Topic A is being discussed. Topic B is introduced under the guise of being topic A. And when topic B is actually not relevant to topic A, and the topic A is abandoned. Let me give you this is a classic one I come across all the time. You've heard it too, and you've probably fallen for it. Christianity cannot be the only true religion, people are free to choose whatever religion they want. That's a red herring. Christianity cannot be the only true religion. Topic A. People are free to choose whatever religion they want. Topic B. Do those two have anything to do with each other? Absolutely not. But the truth is we hear that and our heart rate goes up. Our blood pressure goes up. We get nervous. We say, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? This person thinks you're just free to choose whatever. You know what I say? Of course you're free to choose whatever you want to believe. Of course you're choose to free. Guys, everybody should say that. Of course you're free to choose whatever. If you want to believe that there are uh, leprechauns in your lucky charms, you are free to believe that. It doesn't, mean, <laughs> it doesn't mean that it's true. If the pilot who is leaving San Diego for Honolulu uh, wants to believe that Hawaii is in the Atlantic, He's free to believe that. He shouldn't be a pilot. And you don't want to be on that plane. But that has nothing to do with where Hawaii is located. You see, we get we constantly confuse the objective with the subjective in our culture. So when the person says that, you know, uh, Christianity can't be the only true religion, uh, people are free to, all of these are are examples that I've experienced in my own life. Uh, I said, well, of course people are free to choose whatever. But what does that have to do with whether or not the claims are true of Christianity? And do you see what I just did? Question mark on the end. Everything was a question mark. And, and get them to defend their claim. The red herring is constant in, uh, in our society today. And we have to be, uh, be very careful of it. Straw man. This, this is the marital favorite right here. You'll probably find yourself guilty of this. I, I have. This is actually a real conversation from my life. <clears throat> Person A represents position X. Person B represents repre- position Y, a distorted view of position X. Person B attacks position Y. Therefore, X is incorrect or flawed. Wife, I think we need to clean out the garage this Saturday. Husband, why? We just cleaned it out this spring. Why do we have to clean it out every weekend? Wife, I'm not saying we need to clean it out every weekend. You just want to keep your junk forever. Sounds like a conversation you've had before? Okay, what just happened in that conversation? Listen, wife, I think we need to clean out the garage this Saturday. Husband, why? We just cleaned it out this spring. Why do we have to clean it out every weekend? Is she asking to clean it out every weekend? No. So what, what, what was that? You just want to keep your junk forever Uh, It's a distorted version Of what the other person said And then I'm guilty of this classically uh, With my dear wife Um, Then we fire back We attack a straw man With another straw man Right Because that will always make things better just go after it with another straw man I'm not saying we need to clean it out every weekend That's true You just want to keep your junk forever. Oh, that's going to make it all better. That's going to make it all better, you know. Uh, Strawman arguments. Strawman arguments are, are classic everywhere. So it's a distorted version. You know, person A makes the claim. And then person B introduces a distorted version of that claim. And now you're basically arguing past each other and just getting angry. We want to recognize that. Okay, a couple others real quick, just to be aware of as you're talking with people. Another one is a slippery slope argument. If A is true, well, therefore, it's going to lead to B. Therefore, it must be bad. Um. All kinds of things. You know, Rome said this about the doctrine of justification by faith alone. If you teach that doctrine, people are going to be licentious. Well, how do you, how do you argue a slippery slope argument? If you don't say that the, the six days in Genesis are 24-hour days, you're going to believe in evolution. Oh boy, I've heard that one a lot. What is that? That's a slippery slope argument. It doesn't necessarily follow that if justification by faith alone is preached, that everyone's going to become licentious. Or that if you don't think Genesis 1 is, is telling us how many hours there were in three days where there was no sun in the solar system, that you are going to be an evolutionist. Um, it's a weak argument. And the fact is, is that there's slippery slopes in every position. Every position has some slippery slope in it. The fact that there's a slippery slope doesn't make the premise false. Um, it, it's simply a possibility. But this is usually argued out of fear. It's out of fear. And it can be a concern. It can be a concern there, but then you, there, you need to address the concern. But it doesn't necessarily make the, the premise false. One more. I'll just give you five. Last one, uh, to keep it simple, we, we might call an appeal to relativism. You've all heard this one before. There's no absolute truth. Well, that's insane, isn't it? Right. I would say, is that true? What you just said? How do, how do we know that's true? You just defeated yourself. It's like that Madonna song, um, Words are Meaningless. Words are meaningless, including those. See, but this goes on in our culture all the time. People should not impose their beliefs on others. What do you say? What are you doing to me? That's microaggression. I'm offended, right? Why are you saying that? Uh-huh. You just imposed your beliefs on me. You see? But we don't, the problem is, guys, is sometimes we're not listening. We get so nervous because we think we're going to get thrown to the lions, which usually doesn't happen in our society, uh, that we sometimes just kind of nod and don't say anything. And we say, oh, I'll just pray for the person and not say anything. Why? Put a rock in their shoe. Listen to what they're saying. They probably don't even know how to think their way out of a plastic bag. They don't, they don't, oftentimes people don't have categories. Now, I'm not being too mean here. If you watched the the presidential debates, the debates for the highest executive position in our land, it was filled with this stuff. And it wasn't like that in generations past. It wasn't. You read the debates that were in print a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, you would never get away with these things. And now it's just it's chaos because nobody's listening. And if you listen to what someone says, but if you really do care about that person and their soul and you want the opportunity to, to develop a relationship and talk with them, um, you have to help them think sometimes. No one can know anything about God for certain. I've heard that so many times. And I would say, well, no, no one can know anything for, sh- for certain about God. How would, you say, how would you answer that? Are you certain about that? Because they're appealing to relativism, is what they're doing. It's a, it's a logical fallacy, ultimately. And so, you know, Christianity may be true for you, but it's not true for me. You can use this. Look, my dear wife, who is a very shy person by nature, had a guy come and knock on the door. Uh, did I tell you this story? couple weeks ago i told you guys i told you guys uh this just, just happened a couple weeks ago or maybe three weeks ago uh knock on the door asking for um um uh, donations for some charity and uh, our policy typically when we get solicited at the house i'm not saying you need to do this it's just what we do uh, is to say well um we have four children and uh that that we support them and also we uh support our church you know um you're welcome to come to church with us. You know, this is something that we, we like to support. And you Do know, you go to church? Sometimes it's an opportunity. So my wife used that, and uh, he said, oh, that's great. You know, Yeah, I'm a third-generation, uh, he said, uh, pastor-preacher. And uh, so my wife said, oh, that's great. Can you tell me what the gospel is? Just ask a question. You don't have to be a genius to do this. You can just, can you tell me what the gospel is? Because you know what the gospel is. Life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, you know what the guy said? He said, um, well, um, he thought, and he didn't know what the gospel was. He just said, well, I think, and this is literally what he said, I think the gospel is whatever it is for you, whatever the truth is for you. That's the gospel. Now, in our society, that is Normal. Okay, so now let's go to what the method of argument in five minutes here. So you got this. Ad hominem, red herring, straw man, slippery slope, appeal to relativism. These are, there's more, but these are the, probably the five biggest ones. So how are you going to answer that guy who says that? Well, I think the gospel is, is, is true for whatever is true for you. That's the gospel. What you do is you use the reductio. Ad absurdum. If you're wondering what these arm movements up here are of the boys, every time they hear this in Latin, they pretend like they're Harry Potter and reductio ad absurdum. Uh, It's actually very good to use. So what do you do? The guy said, I think the gospel is whatever you think it is. Now, the wrong way to answer that would be with a statement. You know, and to say, you know, no, the gospel is X. Um, Why not help him see the absurdity of his position? You have to reduce it to an absurdity. And the reason we do this is not to be mean or to belittle someone, but to help them see what they believe is false, if you just say, well, you know, no, it's not true. You know, the equation is this. No, I think the equation is this. I think the equation is that. Now you just got, you know, I like chocolate. You like vanilla. You have to help them see that, there's, uh, that they're in a logical foul. They can't even live in the world that they uh, want to believe, that they want to live in. So how would you answer? How would you answer someone like that? Well, I put it this way. How would you answer this? All interpretations are equally valid. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? That's all you get in university today. All interpretations are equally valid. What's the best way to respond to that? I'm sorry to hear that you think all Jews and homosexuals should be murdered. Something like that. What did I do? You, the, you took the roof off. It's the same thing Kokel did when he asked the witch in Wisconsin, do, do you think there's any case where killing babies is okay? She said, yes, incest. And so now he's taking her view for a test drive. And he says, okay, let me see if I got this right. So if I had a two-year-old here next to me who had been the product of incest, are you saying it would be okay for me to kill her? You see what he just did. He reduced her view to an abs- absurdity. And so all you have to do, you, have to, you might say, well, I'm just not that quick. I'm not that sharp. That's why I say ask questions. Because if you ask questions and you listen to what the person's saying, and you know, uh, take your time. You're going to find a place where you can do just this. And when people make these outlandish claims, you have to get them to defend it. Um, you don't have to. Def- you don't have to make your own claim just yet. You you help them see that their position isn't as strong as they think it is, and so. Try to help the other person see that they can't really live in the world that they want to live in. Another one I like is, you know, homosexuals are only doing what comes naturally to them. Okay, let me see if I have this right. Would you, are you saying then that, you know, homosexuality is natural? Well, wouldn't it also be true that adoption by same-sex couples uh, would be wrong since that they can't have children naturally? Uh, You know, you help take their view for a test drive. It's exactly what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15. You have biblical precedent for doing this. When he says, you're saying that there's no resurrection from the dead in the body, yet you affirm that Christ has been raised from the dead. But if you affirm that, then because we're united, uh, Christ hasn't been raised. You can't have one without the other. And if that's the case, he's not raised from the dead. We have no salvation. We might as well eat, drink, and be merry. He takes the roof off. Reduces their view to an absurdity and gets them to think about what's really true. Any questions on this? Yeah. How is the Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, you'd be pretty busy all day long, right? And so you have a vocation to fulfill. It's true. But what I'm saying is that if, we, if there's any imperative for evangelism, if evangelism is something that is real, that is something for the lay people to do, all these are our methods for that evangelism. And I think they're much more effective than knocking on a door and giving somebody a track. Because that's been, we're a burned-over district now you know, where uh, it's that's, that method isn't that effective anymore because it's been so abused. And I think it's much more effective to help people think about their statements. And my, I'll tell you, my, my experience has been um, when you do this, if you can do it without being combative, people are, um, they, they become much more interested in what you have to say because you're helping them think. And you've got to remember, they're made in the image of God They are made to love God, not only with their heart and their emotions, but with their mind. And you're helping someone think. They begin to appreciate that, even if at first they give you a pushback. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying 100% because I think, yeah, it's, it's really an outworking of love. And, we, and I think it's important to think long term sometimes. I mean, in the case of, you know, the witch in Wisconsin, you know, he's in a, uh, at a business, at a one-hour photo booth. But if you're talking about your neighbor or someone you work with, you know, we should not feel pressured to, you know, seal the deal. At the end, you know, I got to pray with this person. You know, otherwise, Uh, you you can you can stretch that conversation out, but we do have to keep it moving at some point. I mean, what do you mean by that? And uh, how'd you come to that conclusion? Are great, but if that's all you ask, then um, you didn't do much. You know, to uh, in most cases, Uh, you kind of want to do that just to get more out from them, and it does. Like Roy's saying, it shows your interest in the person. And you're able to love that person. And you, you know, and everybody's different. And, and you know, we don't know their backgrounds, we don't know what they're thinking, we don't know where they're how maybe they've been burned by Christianity, a bad form of Christianity. And by asking questions, you really find out more about the person. And it shows your love, it shows your patience. And then try to envision that person worshiping with you at Christ URC as a member five years from now. Try to, you know, instead of just rah, 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 you know, or on the internet, uh, picture this person worshiping with me and that person looking back and saying, or saying in their membership interview, wow, it was so-and-so. They were so patient with me, asked me so many questions, never gave up on me. You know, asked me that one day about my coexist sticker. And, uh, and we just kept having a dialogue. It went on for years, and I ended up coming to church and started thinking, we've got to show our love in that way. So important stuff. Got to stop there. If we have more questions, I'll stick around, and uh, Dr. Glomser will be back with you next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the minds you've given us. Help us, Lord, we pray, to be loving to the world and to our neighbor. Lord, you made sure that the gospel got to us, and you used people to do that. Use us, Lord, in the lives of other, uh, others, and help us, Lord, to overcome our fears. Help us to listen with love. Uh, help us to think when we speak. Help us to get others to think about what they believe and why. And use us, we pray, Father, with the abilities and the personalities you've given us to be your instruments so that others would come to Christ. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.